Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Let's read together. Isaiah chapter six, verses one through nine. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Verse 8, and also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Bless those that hear it today. And we give you praise, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Now you can be seated. And I promise I won't ask you to stand till the very end. <laughs> so it is good to be with you this morning, as I said. And uh, for those of you that are guests with us here, we are so privileged and honored that you've chosen to join us uh, here today. There were lots of things that you could have done. What a, what a different day today than yesterday. Uh, it was like it was like Alaska was saying, "Ha ha, fooled ya," uh, because it dumped snow yesterday, as you're all aware of, and now it's sunshiny and bright, and that's just how it is in Alaska. You never know what you're going to get, uh, and uh, and that, that's kind of like the Lord. You never know what you're going to get, but as long as you put yourself in the presence of the Lord and you come before Him, you're going to get something good. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're going to continue focusing on the series that Pastor Daniel started uh, concerning vision. The title of this message is The Focus of the Vision, and I don't have notes for you, uh, but I do have three points. So I'll make sure I tell you if you're taking notes uh, what point number one is, point number two is, and point number three is. Uh, but you've heard a lot about vision. In fact, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, my people perish. Vision is important. As most of you can see, I wear glasses. Uh, for the longest time, I never wanted to admit that I needed glasses. Uh, I would constantly uh, go around without glasses and fake that I could read that thing over there on the wall. Uh, and finally, one day, one of my daughters said, Dad, come on. Come on. You, you can't see that. Uh, and I'm like, okay. So I went and I did the whole vision test and I did the whole thing, you know, where they you look in the thing and they say, read line seven. And like, there is no line seven. <laughs> okay, read line five. Well, that's so, okay, try four. And you read line four and then they move the dials and everything. Finally, when they handed me my glasses and I put them on, I was like, whoa, what have I been missing all this time that I've been deceiving myself because of pride or whatever else to say that I didn't need some help with my vision. I needed things to come into focus so that I could see clearly. 
that's what the Lord is wanting to do in each one of us. He's wanting us to be able to bring things into the proper focus, things to come into focus so we can see clearly what he's trying to tell us and what he wants for us. We just read in our text the vision that Isaiah had that propelled him into a prophetic ministry to God's people that lasted over 40 years. Isaiah was a prophet to Judah and Jerusalem for over 40 years and over four kings that ruled and reigned. A little background on Isaiah. Most historians and theologians say that he was probably from an aristocratic family. The language and the style of writing of the book of Isaiah indicate that he was very well educated, probably some type of statesman. The fact that, uh, as we'll talk about in just a minute, he was very bothered by the fact that the king had died indicates, uh, these historians, Bible historians say, indicate that he probably was known in the court of the kings, that he probably had access to them. Uh, and, and so this particular gentleman with that kind of background received a call by seeing a vision of the Lord that propelled him into a prophetic ministry. Now, the book of Isaiah uh, is the first section in the Old Testament that's known as the major prophets. They're not known as the major prophets because they have more important things to say. Their books or their writings are a lot bigger than what are known as the minor prophets. Uh, and everything is important in the word of God. But there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. You might not have known this. Uh, 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters are warnings uh, of judgment and call to repentance by God to his people. Just like there's 39 books of the Old Testament. And then there's 27, the remaining 27 chapters of Isaiah are books of prophecy concerning the coming Messiah of hope and of restoration and salvation, just like the 27 books of the New Testament. It's just one of those things that make you go, hmm, God's pretty amazing. So Isaiah's name, in case you need to know this, if you ever want to name one of your kids Isaiah, it means in Hebrew, Yahweh is salvation. And in fact, the word salvation is found 26 times in this one Old Testament book. Isaiah is considered one of the greatest statesmen prophet of the Old Testament. He saw the millennial, he saw prophecies and prophesied of the millennial kingdom of Christ where the lion would lay down beside the lamb, where a little child would play near a, a snake's den. And it's without question that the book of Isaiah and the man Isaiah had a major impact but can I tell you this morning, none of it would have happened without, we, without what we just read in our text. None of this, none of these 66 chapters, none of the great messianic prophecies found in Isaiah chapter 53 and others would have happened without Isaiah having a vision, a close encounter with God through a vision and that vision coming into the right focus. Now, Kings, Kings Cathedral and Chapels has a vision. The vision that we're currently in is the 12-120. In case you're, again, visiting a guest with us this morning and not familiar with what that means, vision 12-120 means that we're believing by the year 2025 that we're going to have 1,200 extensions worldwide because we are one church in many locations, uh, pushing 500 extensions right now currently around the world. We're believing by 2025 we're going to have 1,200 extensions around the world and 120,000 disciples in those extensions. That's the vision that we have. How many of you can say amen to that vision? But with the right focus, we're going to see that vision accomplished. And it's going to take all of us 
to get in, have everything come into the right focus of what part we will play in fulfilling the vision that God has placed on this house. Now, there are many examples of, from Scripture of the vision of God coming to his people. I've been, uh, my wife and I have been reading a book uh, about the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, and he had this to say about God's vision. God's vision doesn't come to the idle, but to those who are diligent in their work. And he cites the example of Moses. Moses was in the desert, but he was diligently being a shepherd, tending the sheep, and he had a vision of God speaking to him through a burning bush. He cites Gideon, who even though he was uh, scared, he was still diligently doing the work that his father needed him to do, threshing wheat in a wine press, and he had a vision from the Lord. And even Matthew, sitting at the, in the New Testament, sitting at the tax collector's booth, when the Lord talked to him and approached him, he was diligent in what he was doing. And I'm afraid sometimes we as the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about us here, I'm talking about in general, I'm afraid sometimes that we think, well, I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to wait on the Lord to give me a vision of what he wants me to do. And as soon as I get that vision of what he wants me to do, then I'll get up and do something. And can I tell you, I agree with Hudson Taylor. God's vision comes to those who are, who are diligent, not idle. Whatever you're supposed to be doing, do it with all your might. Paul tells us, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might unto the Lord. And you might be like, what I'm doing isn't making a difference, but it's making a huge difference in your character and in my character because it's showing us uh, to the Lord to be faithful over a few things. And if that's the kind of people that he wants to make rulers over much. So if you're like, I don't really know what God wants me to do, I would say whatever you're supposed to be doing, do it with all your might. And as you continue to do it with all all your might, look for the next that God may have for you because the vision will come and the Lord will show you. Now, Isaiah had a vision. We just read about it. And I see a threefold aspect of this vision in this text. The threefold aspect that we as individual believers and as a body of believers, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us today to realize that we should begin to incorporate that. One last observation before we jump into this threefold aspect of this vision from Isaiah. I want to tell you this morning, the single most important vision that God has for you and I is Christ-likeness. More than anything else, uh, in, in early morning prayer, the, uh, about two and a half, three weeks ago now, in early morning prayer, I was just really sensing the presence of the Lord in a powerful way. Uh, if you don't have an opportunity to come to early morning prayer, uh, you can always join us online if you're able. And if you have an opportunity, I would highly recommend it. It'll get your day going great uh, because God shows up. Uh, because he promises in his word where two or more are gathered uh, in his name, he is there in the midst. So uh, that, that particular morning, I, I just was sensing a real uh, stirring and sense of, of God's presence. And I was talking to him and, and, you know, it's good to do self-examination every once in a while before the Lord. And I was just asking, Lord, you know, am I, am, things good? And what do, you, what, do you, what do you want me to do, Lord? Am I, am I not doing something you want me to do? Am I, am I doing what you want me to do, but you want me to do it more? Uh, what would you like me to do? And he said, first and foremost, I want you to be my son. And that has stuck with me. Because then the Holy Spirit said, because if we'll live and act in son and daughtership the, like the children of God, if we'll operate that he is our father and we are his children, everything else will work out. So the primary, single most important vision that God has for you and I as individuals is Christ-likeness. 
God the Father wants us to look like his son, Jesus. God the Father wants us to act like his son, Jesus. God wants us to be like his son, Jesus, to make us into the image of Christ. And maybe if you've not realized that's a vision that God has for you, hopefully before you leave this morning, you'll get that settled, that God has that vision for you to make you by the power of Holy Spirit into the image of his son, that when, when you look in the mirror, maybe your first temptation is to see you as you really are, but then as you begin to look a little deeper, maybe as you're believing that vision for your life and that vision comes into focus, you'll begin to see the reflection of Jesus in all that we do and say and how we act because that's what this world needs. And if we as the blood-bought, redeemed of the Lord that stands up loudly and says so, if we can focus on that vision for our lives, everything else God desires for us will come into proper focus. Amen? Amen. But let's look at Isaiah a little bit closer. As we read through uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we see that there's a focus on looking up. That's point number one if you're taking notes. There's a focus on looking up, verses 1 through 4 of Isaiah chapter 6. For Isaiah, the focus of looking up happened when the king died. When the king died, I don't think it's any, it's not just thrown in there to give us a time reference. There's significance to that, that opening verse there. In the year that the king Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a godly king. King Uzziah was a, a king that was leading the nation in reformation, returning to God, worshiping the one true living God, living according to the commands and laws of God. And, and Isaiah was, was worried now that Uzziah had died because as we aren't familiar with because we have an election uh, uh, system here in our democracy. Um, uh, in, 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 in societies that have kingship and kings and rulers like that, there's a secession. You know, whoever was the king, when they died, or were killed by their son who would secede them, uh, the, that, that next person that would come on the throne, the people had no choice. It was a family lineage succession of rulers. And Isaiah was worried about what was going to happen to the nation. He was worried about the political climate of the nation. He was worried about the economic climate of the nation. He was certainly worried about the spiritual climate of the nation. And it bothered him and it gripped his heart uh, with grief that Uzziah had died because they were living in the blessings of God at the time. And he wasn't sure what's going to happen. But it's interesting that when Uzziah died, he got his eyes off of what was going on around there. And he began to focus on looking up. He focused on looking up to the Lord. He focused on looking up to Yahweh, the God of creation. And when he did, it says, as we read, that he had a vision of the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up and his train, his presence filled the temple. And the temple was filled with smoke and there were loud voices and angels proclaiming the goodness of God, how holy he is and that the whole earth is full of his glory, prophetically declaring what will eventually one day be when God restores and makes all things new. Isaiah was having a prophetic vision of what would come that was calling him into a prophetic ministry because he determined to get the focus off of what was going on around him, off of what he couldn't control, off of what he didn't cause, off of what he would rather not happen to the nation and to the people that he cared so much about in his own life and begin to get the focus on looking up to God. The Bible declares, we lift up our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. 
Can I encourage you and challenge you today as we talk about the vision that God has for us as an individual and then the vision God has for us as a congregation? It's time to get to start focusing on looking up to the Lord. Doesn't mean we're ignorant about what's going on. We need to know what's going on in the world, but we don't need to become obsessed by it. We need to know what's going on in the world so that we can pray, we can intercede, because the Bible tells us that's what we're supposed to do. That if his people that are called by his name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, seek his face and pray, then he will hear from heaven and heal our land. But see, that is talking about changing the focus of our vision. From off of how bad it is to how glorious he is, to how awesome he is, to how amazing the one that's seated on the throne, the one who lives forever, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When we can begin to focus on looking up at him and and seeing him clearly for who he is, then we'll be able to Get the vision God has for us in the right focus. At a time of crisis, look up. At a time of crisis, look to the Lord. See, there's three attributes. There's a whole lot more, but there's three main attributes that that Scripture tell us about God. He's omnipotent, so he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's all-present everywhere all at once. And he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And just a little side note, it's a corny little rhyme, but maybe you'll remember it. God and the devil are not on the same level. Okay? Okay? God's omnipotent, omniscient, and uh, uh, and, um, thank you, (laughs) omnipresent. The devil's not. And when we can get a glimpse of his holiness, Isaiah 40, 22 says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. When we can get a vision of God's almightiness, if that's a word, his holiness, his goodness, his grace, and his mercy, if we can begin to focus our vision and focus on looking up in times of distress, in times of trouble, in times of worry, in times of political and, and, and spiritual decay and things that are going on that we can't control. We can learn to control ourselves and that's that we're not gonna let our eyes get uh, distracted off of the Lord by focusing on what's going on. Again, we're not ignorant of what's going on, but we take action based on the word of what God tells us to do, which is to pray, to intercede, and to make sure. I think I told our KSM students that it comes, sometimes it comes to spiritual warfare. You can't control what's going on all around you, but just like Joshua, you can say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The line's there, devil. You're not coming any closer. Focus on looking up. And when we focus on looking up in the current times that we live in, not only do we need to focus on looking up, we need to focus on looking in. Beginning in verse five, Isaiah said, so I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin 
is purged. Because he saw the Lord high and lifted up and saw God in all his holiness, because his focus changed from looking around to focusing to looking up, all of a sudden he recognized what was lacking in his own life. He recognized the sin that was in his own heart and in his own life. And I'm so glad that the Bible says God chose not to leave him that way. When we begin to look and, and keep our focus on God, when we begin to not compare ourselves to other people, not compare ourselves to other believers, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Well, at least I didn't say that. At least I didn't do that. I don't have that issue. When we stop doing that and we start focusing on looking up at the Lord, then we, and then we begin to look inward, we'll begin to see all the areas that the Lord's been trying to tell us, hey, let's change this. Hey, let's tweak that. Mm, that's not so good. Get rid of that. that that's hindering you because remember the Bible tells us to lay aside all those weights and sin that so easily beset us. So why? So we can run the race with patience and endurance, but it takes looking up to see him in his glory and then looking in to see where we're lacking so that he can do something about it because God didn't leave him that way. The Bible says Isaiah got a touch from the altar of God. Amen. This is the ability that we must possess in order to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, the ability to look inward, to have some self-examination time. Because, you know, we, we, like our, we, we write our own press release sometimes. Our own rap sheet looks pretty good. And sometimes we need to step back and say, Holy Spirit, show me. As David said in the Psalms, search me, O God and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Because that wicked way in us, if it's not dealt with, if it's not, if we don't receive a touch from the altar of God, if you will, if we don't receive a touch from the Holy Spirit and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to correct what's going on, before long we'll find out we're way off from where we thought we were. Because we gotta focus the vision to be more clear. Self-examination. Paul said, let every man examine himself to see if he is of the faith. Well, how do we do that? What do we, how do we, what do we use to examine ourselves? Other people? No, I've already touched on that. We use the truth of the word of God anointed by Holy Spirit to show us the way in which we should go. Because the Bible says that left to ourselves, there's a way that seems right unto man, but that way ends in death. So if you're, if you're trusting your own uh, ability to judge what's right or wrong, uh, that's dangerous. We have the truth, not a truth, not an opinion, but the truth, the truth of the word of God. And it will set us free. The knowing the truth, it will set us free. See, it's easy to see the faults and weaknesses and shortcomings of others. But true spiritual growth is the product of inward honesty. That might be worth writing down. Truth, true spiritual growth is the product of inward honesty. Matthew 7, 5 says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Now, I didn't say hypocrite. Jesus did. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly the vision will come clear. The focus will come into play and you will be able to remove the, then you will be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, you, talking about God, desire truth in the inward parts. And in the inward and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. If we have a heart 
honesty with ourselves, it'll produce two very needed things in the Christian life. Number one, a divine desperation. When Isaiah looked in and had a heart honesty, it created a divine desperation. Woe is me. I am undone compared to him and his glory and the glory of the one that I see seated on the throne and his glory filling the temple. Compared to him, I am messed up. A divine desperation and then a divine dependence on him because without him we can do nothing and those two things will result in divine help and assistance because as we read, one of the angels came and cleansed Isaiah, cleansed his lips so that he could be the prophetic voice of God to the nation and cleansed and purged his sin from him. God has a vision for us, his people, both as individuals and as the body of kings. And to make sure that vision doesn't get out of focus, that it stays clear, we need to, number one, focus on looking up. We need to, number one, focus on looking in. And finally, understand that, number three, that will lead us to focus on looking out. Verse eight, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Now I included verse nine because God was telling him what it was gonna be a tough road because he said, say to these people, uh, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. God was giving Isaiah a little bit of a hint. The prophetic words I'm gonna give you to speak, uh, they're gonna they're gonna hear what you say, but they're not going to understand a word of what you're doing because their hearts are far from me. They're going to see the miracles and things that you're talking about, but they're not really going to comprehend what they're seeing because of the condition of their heart. But nevertheless, I'm looking for someone to go. And Isaiah said, here I am, because he was focusing on now looking out at the need around him. I offer you today that it takes all three components to bring the vision that God has for us as individuals and us as a church into correct focus. It takes all three. Looking up is vital. It's the first step. But I'm convinced by the word of the Lord that if we look up, it will cause us to look in. And looking inward is vital. It's those moments that Holy Spirit shows us things that we may not have realized that we're off. And based on the holiness of God that we, that, that, that we see and how we see that we're off and how he brings us divine assistance to forgive us and cleanse us, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the picture you see here in this vision from Isaiah, the purging, the coal from the altar touching his lips and saying your sins are purged, cleansed from all the sin, cleansed from all the effects of sin. And when we do that, it should cause us to look outward. Looking outward is what being a disciple, a believer, is all about. Seeing others who are in desperate need of Jesus. And if we look up and then try to look out without looking inward, oh, we become guilty of becoming judgmental and self-righteous. Because we look up and we see God and then we look out and see other people and we don't take the time to look inward, we can become very judgmental. We can become very self-righteous about the fact that, well, he's good and he's God and you're not. That's why it takes all three components. And if we look inward and then look outward without looking upward, we become guilty of comparison and complacency. 
I look inward and see how bad I am. I look outward and see how the situation other people are in. And well, I'm not as bad as they are, but what's the point? We're all bad. There's not much I can do. And we become complacent and we, we, become, we follow, fall into comparison. And all of those things keep the vision that God has for us out of focus. I mean, I can see you guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not blind, okay? But I have astigmatism. And I know I can read reserved on those front rows but it's not solid clear, but I happen to know that it says reserved. Now, uh, I can't read the title of my message on that back wall, but now I can because I, I used what God has given me, which is glasses, the medical understanding to know how to get the right prescription to cause that when I put these on for everything to come in focus. God's giving us a prescription, if you will, from Isaiah here this morning that he's asked me to share with you that if you want to have the vision for your life and see the vision for Kings, our church, what God has called us to do and the fact that you're here and you're part of this fellowship, he's called you to it as well. It's got to come into clear focus. And the way that it can come into clear focus is learning to focus on looking up instead of all the stuff that's going on around us, keeping our eyes. Paul told us, Paul tells us in Colossians that we should set our mind on things above. What that word, that Greek word there for mind talks about our emotions, our thoughts, our vision, set it on things above, not on things below. It doesn't mean we walk around uh, with our head in the cloud, stumbling over everything or missing opportunity to minister to people. It means that we ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to begin to see things from God's perspective. God's not caught off guard by anything that's happening in this world. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of sad, horrific things that are going on, things that most of us would say, dear God, why is that happening? But he's not sitting up in heaven wondering that. He's not caught off guard. He has a way of seeing things that we can in turn begin to focus our vision on being able to see as he sees them. That's looking up. And when we look up, then we have to look in and examine ourselves and say, where am I with you, Lord? And as we do, after we do that and we get everything right, because it isn't just enough to look inward and then go, woe is me, and stay there, because that's not what God wants for us. Then we allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing and cleansing and forgiveness to us. And then when we do that, then we begin to look outward. You know, today is Mission Sunday. Isaiah went. God said, who will go? He said, I will go, send me. And he did, he went. And for, for a span of over 40 years and four different kings, Isaiah prophesied. History tells us that he was very popular at the beginning, but as each successive king uh, became more evil and evil, his message became less and less popular. And he wasn't, they didn't like him coming around uh, as usual before. In fact, the last king that he prophesied during that, that king's reign was Manasseh, who was a horrible king of Israel. And Manasseh had Isaiah captured and sought him in half because he was tired of hearing uh, the proclamations from God. I'm not telling you that answering the vision that God has for your life is gonna be smooth sailing and easy. 
I, I've said it before, uh, and, and it bears repeating again this morning. It would be amazing at the moment that we give our lives to Jesus, whether we kneel, stand, fall, sit on the side of a bed, sit at a table in a restaurant with somebody, and we pray the prayer of repentance, repenting, and God accepts our repentance and applies forgiveness to our life and cleanses us and says that we're now saved and we're now his. It would be amazing at that moment when that happened if all of a sudden we were coated with Holy Ghost Teflon. Because you know, nothing sticks to Teflon. So we were coated with Holy Ghost Teflon so that every, every curse of the enemy, every word curse that anybody would speak, every sin, every temptation, it would hit and fall off. And we floated about six inches off the ground for the rest of our life on our way to heaven. That would be amazing if that's what the Christian life would be. But it's not. The Christian life is when you surrender and give your life to the Lord, man, you are forgiven. You are at peace with God. You are the righteousness of God. You are now considered the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When God looks at us, he no longer sees the sins that separated us from him, but he sees the blood of his son that's forgiven us and washed us clean and made us white as snow and purified us and cleansed us and set us on the road to sanctification. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. He says, I cast it as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. God chooses to limit himself. The unlimited God chooses to limit himself to, to forgetting the sins that you and I repent of and he forgives us of. And as soon as that happens, a bullseye is put on your back and on my back and the enemy wants to take you out. He didn't have to worry about you before you gave your life to Jesus. You are already his. You are already destined for the place that God didn't create for anybody, and that's hell. Hell was created for the devil and the angels that fell with him. But unfortunately, those that leave this world without Jesus, that is the only place. That is the only option. There isn't a third, fourth, or 17th option. And the moment, and the, no, there's not. And the moment that you give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus, there's a bullseye on your back and, and hell takes notice and they're trying to take you out. But that's why we do what Paul said in Ephesians chapter six. When you've done all you can do to stand, stand clothed in the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shod with the peace of the gospel, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. There's your Holy Ghost Teflon right there. Your shield of faith that was able to quench every fiery dart that the enemy would throw. And I must warn you, don't be a spiritual streaker. Only having the helmet of salvation on. You prayed the prayer, God heard your prayer, and he accepted your prayer. But after that, you didn't try to live righteous. There wasn't a whole lot of truth, and you never took up the sword, and you never shared the gospel with anybody, and you never took up the shield of faith, and you're running around wondering why you got darts and arrows and everything in your back, and, and because your, your helmet of salvation's there, but you didn't take up the rest. So what am, I saying? What, are you, what am I saying to you this morning? I'm saying God has a vision for each and every one of us. It's Christ's likeness first and foremost. And if we, can, if we can get that vision to come into focus by looking up instead of looking at all that's going on around us, looking up at him, then looking inward, staying repentant before the Lord. Repentance is not a bad thing. There's, there's a, and I'm almost done. Toby, if you would come back to the keyboard, please. We're gonna take communion in just a minute. 
But there's this, there's this uh, stirring that, you know, repent, talk, you know, talk, don't preach about hell, don't preach about eternity, don't preach about repentance, don't preach about sin. It's not sin, it's just choices. You can call it whatever you want to call it, the Bible calls it sin. And you don't really need to preach about people needing to get saved. You know, they just, they just need to make better choices. Look, I can't think of a better word than saved. The, the word saved is the best word I can think of. Because I needed saved from me. I needed saved from my sin. I needed saved from my, from, from my thought process. I needed a complete transformation. And you know, the amazing thing about it is, just like with the caterpillar and the butterfly... The caterpillar's doing his thing until it's time for him to become a new creation. And who does the changing part? God. God does the changing part. And when God does the changing part, guess what? The caterpillar now becomes a butterfly, a brand new creation. And that butterfly can never go back to being a caterpillar because he's been become a brand new creation. And that's God's vision for you and I. Christ's likeness, to be like his son, to live like his son, to sound like his son, to act like his son, to think like his son. And if we do that, then the vision of this house and the vision that God's laid on you as uh, more vision that he's laid on you as an individual of how you're going to be used in this house to see 1,200 congregations, 120,000 disciples. All of that will come in focus when we get the first thing taken care of first. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you. Thank you.